This is The Point, professional investing in Australia with Pendle. Welcome to The Point from Pendle. There are plenty of reasons to buy and sell assets, and they're not always financial. Geopolitics and the environment are two not uncommon reasons to divest an asset. It all sounds good in theory, but how should an investor do it? This morning, I welcome to The Point, Murray Ackman, ESG Credit Analyst at Pendle. Murray, good morning. Morning. Thanks for having me. There must be a bunch of non-financial reasons not to invest or at least to buy or sell an asset. Yeah, so we we see with ESG investing as becoming a lot more prominent. And the thing with it is we're looking at two main objectives here. One is about avoiding a financial loss or achieving an upside. And two is about bringing about change. So the non-financial components can be simply that you don't like what the industry is doing or a particular company is doing. And we've seen controversies becoming much more prominent as a reason why investors are looking to get out of a particular investment. Okay. So, I mean, if we can take some real-life examples, what about countries? Let's start big picture. The obvious one at the moment, a lot of corporates have certainly pulled out of Russia and some investors might be thinking for geopolitical reasons that's what they want to do. How do you work out, and I mean, there are other examples too, Russia's just one, how do you work out how to actually do that, how to get yourself out of those sorts of funds and bonds that might be investing in those countries? Well, one of the interesting things with looking at a country is it's about bringing about change. And you can have a lot of influence over businesses, but countries they're a lot bigger and they're a lot harder to influence. There have been examples, so South Africa, the apartheid divestment process, and uh, then also we've seen recently with Russia. With Russia, it's not so much about nudging a country to do something. In Russia, it's, it's a little bit different because everyone else has been doing it. So there's kind of a, a loss or a risk with remaining invested. But the Russian example is also perhaps a little idiosyncratic because there's widespread sanctions and the speed and scale of condemnation in the West is, is very unique. Very few businesses have applied the same standards to other countries that have invaded sovereign nations, like if we're looking at Saudi Arabia and Yemen, although we can see the English Premier League is starting to question this. So maybe this will change. We've seen that things happen and there is a a resetting of what the status quo and what the view is. So perhaps this is a a watershed moment on the way in which we invest in countries. Okay, yeah. I mean, off air, you you talked about, you know, it's hard though sometimes because some countries are a big part of your portfolio, particularly your home country. And if you didn't want to invest in your home country, you're in real trouble, theoretical as this may be. Yeah. So we do ESG assessments for different countries. And oftentimes, this can be viewed as as similar to credit risk. You know, we're looking particularly at governance. And so it's not surprising that emerging markets, they they generally have a a much lower ESG assessment, whereas developed countries, they have a much higher ESG score. So this is not surprising. And so when we're working out if we want to invest in stronger ESG performers, you would be looking at countries like Norway and even we'd be looking at Australia. So there's quite a few questions that we would have about you know, Australia. If we were to view Australia like a company, so there have been 
you know, quite quite the number of controversies. The environmental policies haven't been crash hot, but we can't really view Australia like a company because for us, Australia accounts for fifty six. So the Commonwealth government accounts for fifty six percent of the the benchmark. So we we have quite a lot of risks if we decide not to invest in Australia. Yeah. Okay. So if we bring it back to company specific. If you want to divest for ESG reasons or invest for ESG reasons, how do you compare a company like an energy company that's transitioning? So you could pick AGL Energy, which its management says it's transitioning, though it is a dirty company at the moment, versus a bank, for example, which you know some don't lend for certain industries, but they do lend for other industries. How, how do you compare that? How do you do it? Mm. Well, it comes back to why you use ESG investing as a lens. So the the first component is avoiding your financial loss or achieving an upside. And this becomes pretty relevant when we're looking about unsustainable areas or sectors that might be regulated out of existence. So the, the stranded asset, if you will, and the quintessential one is coal plants, which will have limited use when renewables make up a much larger part of the electricity grid. And it could also be areas where regulations, sanctions, or potential changes in the future will impact the viability of various assets. This doesn't necessarily mean that these types of assets are going to go to zero. It just means it could be unpopular, shrinking, or you know, there's low liquidity in the area. That seems to drive a lot of thought. But then the second component is about bringing about change. So can you be nudging issuers or companies to do more sustainable practices. So in the example of an AGL versus a bank, so the AGL, they do have uh, significant financial risks associated with it. Maybe their transition plan won't work and they're left with a whole bunch of stranded assets. Whereas with a bank, it's more about how you bring about change. One of the components that we see with there's this whole idea of negative screen, so screening out the bad things that you don't want as part of a portfolio. Uh, and there is some critique about this, as in for the biggest emitters, they are the ones that will need to transition the quickest in order for us to get to net zero. So we are avoiding conversation with them, and this is kind of the cut off your nose to spite your face or the, the perfect being the enemy of the good. These types of negative screens, which have historically been you know, your sin stocks like tobacco, but we're seeing increasingly it's becoming fossil fuels, they can be a bit of a blunt instrument, but they do have influence about making the costs of financing a lot harder. Yes, okay. And so, and so as we go from you know, my final question here, over the next few years, do you think we're going to see more and more of this non-financial investing in our, albeit your starting point is don't make a loss or win from it, but there will be more of these non-financial reasons as part of an investment decision across the board. I think so. There are some people who, or some actors who can actually play this way. So just like a sporting team that can pick up a disgraced player from a former team, there are ways where others can benefit by acting opportunistically and as with anything, you could be making the right decision, but it's the wrong time. There are ways in which it's not going to be as cut and dry as this. You know, obviously, one of the challenges is as more and more of these so-called sin stocks, assets are going into private hands. We lose visibility. 
And so we're seeing the market becoming a lot more sophisticated as to wanting to engage and actually wanting to bring some of their particularly bigger emitters into the tent. But on the flip side, we're also seeing that investors in particular are becoming much more certain as to what type of behavior is unacceptable. We've been seeing that a lot of controversies within a company, you know, it could be promoting somebody who has had a controversial past, for example. We're seeing that investors do not like this type of behavior and they are acting very strongly on it. I don't think this is going to reverse. We're seeing that there's more and more issues which companies are having to address. Just anecdotally, I've noticed that we have update calls with businesses and front and center of these calls, they are talking about their ESG credentials. They're talking about their transition plans. They're very, very conscious of their social impact. And they're talking about whether their their business has you know, high employee engagement. We're seeing a lot more of this. And I think it's only heading in one direction. And this is more and more information that investors are caring about because investors' clients care about it. So it has to just continue if clients care about it. Murray, thank you for talking to The Point. Thank you so much for having me. That was Murray Ackman, ESG Credit Analyst at Pendle. You've been listening to The Point from Pendle. I'm Sean Aylmer. 